Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneur, where investors meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing, business, raising capital, business growth. My name is Peter Leung and I'm a global real estate investor. I own, invest, and develop properties all around the world. You've probably seen me on stages or on video working with serial entrepreneurs and investors on building wealth. I'm also a private equity business and angel investor as well. And today I've got the blessing and the privilege of having a very dear friend of mine on the show. She's achieved so much at not only a young age, but she's achieved so much for a business career. As a matter of fact, I've got somebody here, which I remarkably respect. Somebody who is at 23, a serial investor, a serial entrepreneur has taken the world by storm. She has been an executive coach to so many entrepreneurs who want to scale and really grow their business. So, of course, she's an international speaker, spoken on stages all around the world to thousands of people. Today, I have my friend, Katie Kay, on the show. Katie, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It is awesome to have you. It is so hard to have you because you are so bulked up. You, you do so much and you're speaking on all the virtual stages. You're speaking to so many and you're coaching so many and you've got so many businesses that you're running right now that I yeah. know is taking so much of your time. So thank you for giving us the time allocation and sharing your secrets to your successes, your past, your experiences, and how you can share with a lot of us investors and entrepreneurs grow their business. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for that. Amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So Katie, the first question is always for my personal interest. As a father myself, as a father to a, a very young child, I want to know from you what your family did. What did they do to help you get some of the family values, to get some of your work ethic, your business acumen? What did they do during the process of your growth of your early years to give you the interest to start business and to pursue business? Can you share that with me? Because I really want to make sure that a lot of us with children are able to do the same thing for their children. I can, and I actually just spoke about this today, so it's going to be a good topic. So I am from a family of entrepreneurs, surprise. But the funny thing is I did not want to be an entrepreneur when I grew up. I rebelled against it. I was like, I don't want that life. I don't want to do that. But needless to say, I ended up here, right where I belong. So my family have owned many businesses, many investments, and I watched them grow from nothing. So we are immigrants. I was born in the UK. We moved to Canada when I was six months old. I literally watched my dad come over here with two kids, my mom, $400, four suitcases. And the company that he was coming to work for as a consultant, he ended up owning it by buying up that company. That was very much the first kind of start to watching him and his entrepreneurial journey. We moved to downtown Toronto. It was literally this two bedroom apartment with screaming babies and kids. And as much as I don't really remember it, that's the story. I watched them grow and we've owned restaurant chains. We've owned properties, investments, weight loss clinics. You name it. My dad's definitely owned it and built it and sold it. So it's inevitable that here I am doing the same thing. But I did not want to admit that. Did they talk to you about it? Was it just like you see it? Was it just like a, a matter of mirroring? And, and, and when you tried to even resist it, what got you in that direction? Was it the money? Was it the fame? Was it the, the people he knew? What was it that sort of 
caught your attention, then persuaded you down that direction? So it's even better than that. I really didn't want to be in entrepreneurism. So I'd say right at university time, they never pushed it on me. They never made me go into a specific study or specific school. They very much left me to make my decisions, which is funny. My older sister, they did not do that with. They steered her in a direction. And with me, I was like the loose cannon. Like they couldn't control me. They couldn't steer me in a certain direction. So they said, oh, let's just see how she works this one out. I did work in some of our stores growing up and that's how like during high school, that's how I would make my pocket money, let's say. So I was definitely around it. And when I went off to school, my dad gave me an ultimatum. So growing up, obviously I grew up in a wealthy family. It didn't start that way. I watched him build his wealth. I saw the sacrifices. There's by no means any of that, but we hit this kind of pivotal road and he came to me and he said, it's time to hand over the credit cards. And I was like, what? I'm used to the private school, the cars. <laughs> what do you mean? So it was hand over your car keys, hand over your credit cards. And it was very much, they cut me off from that day forward and it was sink or swim. So I don't know many families that grow up like that or children that grow up in that atmosphere that parents would actually do that to their children. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Now I look back and it's like my biggest blessing. But in that moment, I was stomping my feet. I was not happy. I was like, how could you take this life from me? It was this big dramatic part in my life. And it was very much sink or swim, Katie. You saw how much I had to work for what we have. You love the lifestyle you currently live. So are you going to sink or swim? So of course I rebel. I don't need you. I can do it myself. So that and really actually propelled you because it gave you some of that motivation to go, yeah. okay, I prove you wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my, and we have this discussion now and my dad always says, Katie, who knows? Maybe I didn't mean it. Maybe I was just, you know, t testing you. But he knows with me that when you tell me I can't do something, I go do it. I'm very bullheaded in that mindset. So I think it was more of a test slash, I already knew the choice you were going to make. And as much as I thought the doors were always closed, like I couldn't come home, I could never ask for money, I could never depend on them. Could I have probably gone home? Yes, but because they set that bar for me, that's honestly what elevated my engine, to be honest. Right. That's what got me going so young. So when people look and they go back and they go, oh my God, she had all this before 23. It's really just numbers on a screen to me because at that point I had a rushed growing up. I had rushed my success. I had something to work towards and a drive towards. And it's just funny how it all ended up, but it was very much, you watched me do it. If you think you can go do it. And I honestly don't think they thought I was going to do it, which is funny as well. Cause now we look back and we laugh. But you proved them wrong. As a matter of fact, that's the thing, right? You got to let them take their own path and give them their own choice. When you give them that opportunity, you got to let them see their own success. And that's what your father did. Perhaps he was testing, but heck, he turned out amazing. And, and you've done so much business. So Katie, you started your first business and you've had many businesses, but one of the ones, of course, that we know was your specialty retail business. Yeah. So how did you first identify the problem that you were trying to solve with that business? And, and how did you get into specialty retail for that matter? So there was a antique mall that my family owned. So let's keep this in mind. My parents did not give me a single cent. They did cut me off. That. But in this antique mall that I would have worked in, they rented out spaces and units and it was close to my house. I could go work there on the weekends. And this lady was selling this specialty item out of this little glass Ikea cabinet that we rented to her for $30 a month. And we took 10% commission. And 
she was selling like $3,500 a month. And I'm sitting there 18, 19 going, there's something here. There's something I could do here. And one day she literally just walked in and she wanted to sell it off. And she said, could I just sell my unit? I also have a booth at a farmer's market. And I was like, yeah, I think that'd be great. We sit down with her. She sells it and she sells it for $3,000, which is what she makes in a month. And I'm like, even at 18, 19, no entrepreneurial skills yet. I'm like, good deal for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm winning. It started there and the farmer's booth market was really where I started at all. And it was just a need. And it was one of those opportunities where it was, you either got on the bandwagon. It was one of those rolling of the dice. We didn't know where it was going to go. And when I jumped in, I knew nothing about it. I really didn't know anything about it. I took on a little bit of existing clients and had to build it up. But one thing I noticed while I was at the farmer's market was nobody was buying or selling gold. So I decided to take half my table and buy and sell gold because I knew how to do that. And on my other side of my table, sold my items. And it helped me generate and generate more income because I was like, this is great, but it's only one Saturday a month. And I'm not making enough money to go open my store, which is what I really want to do. Right. I can't call dad. I can't call anyone else. I got to do this by myself. So I started the buying and selling of the gold on the side, which really took off. And I literally would just make Kijiji ads. Very simplistic. I know it, it sounds crazy, but that's how it all started. And I took it from there, was able to get my first retail store. And that's when everything took off. And we just went from one store to the next. And as far as the stores and the locations and looking for the opportunity, I literally just reverse engineered it. So I'd go on Google Maps and then I'd drive around the areas and wherever my competition was, or there was an area where there wasn't anyone in that radius, I would go put a store there. And so that just kept scaling and kept going all the way to Europe. And then we had stores in the UK as well, because I am from the UK. So you went international with one business concept and literally it was like you stumbled upon it but you were smart enough to run with it. From going from one store, running one store to most people already is like mind-boggling. And then to go, not never mind global, to go multi-store is another phase. And then international is another phase. So you know, walk us through this. So if we're going from one business, like one store to multi-store, what was the difference in that expansion? And what type of challenges did you have to overcome going from one store to many? So two keys. One was if you go really too fast, you could burn out of capital really quickly, which of course that was a lesson learned. And there were some scary nights where I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I slowed it down. So the first couple, I really opened up one after another, one after another, because I didn't understand that money doesn't just grow on trees yet. And <laughs> we needed to catch up with the sales and the output and the input. So that was a really big lesson. And at my third one, actually, it completely failed. And that is one of my biggest failures. I went on Google Maps and I had a video that went viral, how I lost $35,000 in less than 30 days. And I was like 19, it was 19 right. at the time. So that is a lot of money, especially at that age. And it was all because it was late at night. I went on Google Maps. It was a store um, in Lakeshore in Toronto. And I checked out the store, everything was good. So there was no competition on Google. We were all good. And it's late at night. I want to get back home. And usually every time I leave a location, I'll just drive the block just in case something's not on Google, something's not there. And I remember it to this day, I turned left and just went back to the highway and I didn't turn right. And there was a store, the biggest competitor in the GTA to me was four doors down. Four doors down. Four doors down. There was a street in between, but four doors down. And so that bled me pretty quickly. 
And so it was the art of the pivot and thinking fast and having to essentially stop the bleeding before I just ruined everything I had already built. At that time, I have two stores. So obviously the scaling took some time and then I, I slowed it down a bit and staggered it out a bit. So being from the UK, I saw the market was there as well. The UK had completely different laws than we did. So I said, I'm British, I can get on a plane, I'll go set up the store. Now, what, like you said, running one store is enough, running two stores is enough and running stores over there, that was probably one of our biggest challenges, but it really was just communicating with the team. So definitely there were struggles in there. I always said, no one could sell like me and I need to teach them to sell like me. So I would do a lot of time training them and, and bringing them up to my speed and my sales. But honestly, it was all virtual. So it might be a reason why COVID is so easy for me to adapt a little bit is because I was used to speaking to them on different time zones and being up at different time zones to train my staff and check in. It was a lot and a lot all at once. I then had two wholesale companies. I then got really in love with the wholesale thing, had one in Europe, had one in Canada, and I just kept finding needs and verticals to keep adding in. One of the things was we didn't know if we could franchise our model. It was mm. a gray area with the laws. We didn't know if it was something we could do. And there was this big convention coming up every year in Toronto. And I went down there and I said, there's gotta be something else we can do. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows my brand. Everybody knows who we are. There's got to be something else we can do. So we came up with this concept for entrepreneurs to have a turnkey solution. So it wasn't essentially a franchise. It was just, I completely build out your store and it's a turnkey lock solution. And so we did that. I came up with the idea. We just implemented it and sold locations doing that. It was just one thing after another. Once you're in the thick of it, it's easy to come up with the verticals. So I've got two questions for you. One is I'm still, I'm stuck on what did you pivot to? Like your competition's four doors down. What did you do with that store? And how did you derive at what you were going to pivot to? Instantly, I had to sublease it. That was my first thing. I was like, okay, I just signed a five-year commercial lease. I got to get this thing sublet. What we tried to do was we just took all the product because now I have essentially a full store setup. So one, I got to find a new location so that I can just throw that into a new location. And two, I need to stop the bleeding. So instantly I went down there, staff had, I'm talking three weeks we were open and I said, okay, staff, sorry, we're open, but we're closed now. This is not going to happen. We've got to pivot. We moved them to some other places. I think it was a month and a half where I had to keep that overhead going and I had it sublet and then it was. That is impeccable. Like, I think that's a very important lesson here because not many people would have actually said, you know what, three weeks in we're open, but we're closed and not even try to compete with the biggest competition. You didn't actually think about that. You were like, you know what? This is over. Let's sublease. Let somebody else run this thing. Let me go find another store. Let me now find another location and plop everything that we've done into there. Yeah. That is pretty insightful thinking. Like that, that's, yeah. and that's very decisive of a decision. I've said that's one of that and exiting the entire thing are my two kind of proudest moments as an entrepreneur, because that could have drowned in everything and I wouldn't be here today. So it was just that quick thinking. And I think sometimes you have to just say, okay, this is not happening. And that's where you don't get emotional in business. Someone could have been all in love with their third location and look at this third location I built. And yeah, I spent time painting cabinets. Like it, it looked beautiful, but what's the point if everything's going to go with it? So it was instant stop the bleeding, get it out of there, find a new location. Very cool. So there's the second question, right? Which is staff. So you worked with staff halfway across the world. Never mind that, local staff too. How did you 
work with staff to avoid turnover. A lot of us here with businesses are looking at, hey, we hire somebody, some people go, some people do different things. They want to move on to another career. They want more money. They, they want more leave, like all these things. How did you handle that? Mind you, I, I started a business in my early age. So I've had some experiences where working with staff was just like, man, like they're twice my age. So how did you solve some of these problems? How did you earn their respect aside from the paycheck? Because we all know it's not the paycheck that will earn the respect. So what did you do? And what are some of the things that you did to keep your staff? That was definitely a learning curve for me, especially in the beginning. I was a bull in a china shop in the beginning. <laughs> I think we all go through that and then we learn it. But one thing I really wanted to do is incentivize people. At that time, I was an employee, what, two or three years before that? I knew what it was like to be an employee. We always had kind of commission structures and that always enticed them wanting to learn about sales and wanting to learn more about the products they were selling and the company and, and what my vision was. And that made a huge difference, to be honest with you. I never wanted to just pay them minimum wage and you could go work at McDonald's for minimum wage. But as an entrepreneur, I only have so much leeway. So where could I add in different strengths for them? That and building community aspects in each one of the stores was a big thing. So what I sold also required some training. And I would go through employees and say, you have skills in X, Y, or Z. So let's start doing some training nights, some free kind of coffee nights. We do some competitions in the stores. We'd make different fun things going on. And I let them run them because at the end of the day, I knew everything about the product and I knew the, the general aspect of the product. Mm -hmm. But some of these guys were so talented as far as safety, as far as building and, and things like that, specifically to the product that I was like, let that be your thing. And a lot of them went on and they'd have their own social media pages, which only helped me and my brand. And they were known on YouTube or, or whatever the case may be for that aspect. And they would live stream from the shop and it made them feel like they had some sort of authority within those stores and a community within those stores. And they weren't just an employee to me. And then of course, staff parties, I always treat them well, uh, that I will say, but I'm sure <laughs> those are fun nights. Here. I'm sure those are fun nights. But on that one, drilling one level deeper than that, I mean, you're young, but I don't want that to be the, the, the framework because regardless whether you're young or more mature, or even in the senior age, we all as entrepreneurs, there's no age separation. It doesn't matter whether you're Asian, non-Asian, doesn't matter whether you're men or women, does not matter whether you're young or old. But like entrepreneurism takes that out of context. So none of that matters. That, that, you know, just being a certain category doesn't make you more or less successful. But how did you look at the basis of your staff? Because they're starting social Instagram, you know, social media, they're getting well-known. They're, you know, getting the, the spotlight. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people I do meet, unfortunately get in that little bit of a bubble where they go, I don't really want my staff to be bigger than me. And they put the lid on them. So you, you get a little bit uncomfortable. You go, it's my store, it's my shop, it's my business. And you don't really want people to carry away with that. Was that ever a problem to you at all? It was a problem in a couple instances. I actually ended up putting in non-competes in my employee contracts once that became a problem. So lesson learned and how to rally around people. So one of the funny things with some of my exits in my company, they were sold to my employees. So there was only a couple that I chose them to take those over. And I already saw that vision from day one, before I even knew I would have sold it. I would say this person could do my job. This person was built and they just haven't been given that chance. So 
it, it was really funny how it ended up because they, they do now run those stores and they do have them to themselves. So I think that respect happened at the end and I was still involved in that world, but I had separated a couple of them off. But yeah, it never came into play. The age never came into play. It's something, if anything, I dealt with in other industries. This was something I think maybe because it went so fast and I built my name so fast, everyone knew me. Everyone to this day in that industry knows me. And I never had that issue. If anything, I it, it happened once or twice. And we just put that in our contracts because you can't stop that happens. Employees come in and they think, oh, I can literally do everything now and go in and start up their own shop and location. So- yeah. This leads me into your sale of your business, right? Of, of your mini business, but in this case, the specialty retail. So how did you decide all together? Because the, the circle of influence that you have, the business relationships that you have, the shops that you have, the profitability that you had, how did you consider such a bold move in terms of switching over? Because man, this is one of those times that, like you say, it's a pivotal point. It was one of the best business decisions. But why was it the best business decision? And what factors did you consider when you sold your shop or when you were considering to sell your shop? I want some details as to what you were thinking, because it's not just, okay, how much money am I going to get? And you sold it off individually. So what factors did you consider when you were making that grand vision of an exit? In the industry I was in, the laws were very gray. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And I had just added in a product line. So I added in that product line and my profits skyrocketed. That literally took my business well from high six figures to seven figures. That changed everything and changed the game. And when the rules are unsettling and the laws are unsettling, I was actually more comfortable with Europe and those stores and that wholesale company than I was over here. Just because I really didn't know where it was going to go. And so I literally had to sit down and say, okay, you're really profitable right now. Like you're in the gravy boat of all gravy boats. You can decide to ride that out and know that it might come to an end. It might not, but it might come to an end. And in my eyes, that was, then I did it all for nothing. So I built this all and I, I you know, made crazy amount of money, but then it all would have to close down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that aspect, or you could find a way to add those other things in and make them ready for an egg. So that was what I just decided. And I said, you got to make that decision. And it was the hardest decision. I know they say not to look at your business as your baby, but imagine I am, this is my first business. I am young and it is my baby. I didn't want to sell it. I wasn't ready to sell it, but it was once again, like the third store stop the bleeding or not that it was bleeding, but make that decision and make it quickly. So it sucked. It sucked I, mean, it, I mean, it's, of course, it's hard to cut losses when you had your third store, but it's yeah. probably harder to cut the profit when it was rolling in every single month. So you have to see the grand vision and you made that decision. Did you have any coaches or anybody that go, Hey, this is what you should do. Did you turn to your father and go, Hey, you've ran a lot of businesses. What do you think? Or was it something that you just knew deep down? Okay. This is unsettling. This is uncertainty, but you never thought about riding it out. You didn't think, Hey, you know what? Heck, they're going to change. Fine. I'll change with it. I'm making good money now. I'm just going to pivot and then I'll sell it when things don't go as well. Yeah. And that was a gamble because that industry is still going. That industry is still booming except the product that I brought in and they're still very profitable, but that product that I brought in that took me skyrocketing, 
is now legally enforced. So I would have not been able to sell it to this day. So looking back, of course, it was the right decision to make, but it, it was still an exciting time. It's once I made the decision, it was the excitement of I'm passing it on. It's going to flourish in other avenues that I might not have taken it. And right. it was my turn to start something new. With that, I was planning on going into that other industry, which I never ended up doing just because of ways the laws were going in Canada. It's so strict and so hard. And that's a little bit of when you're getting restrictions put on your business, it only has so much to scale. So I genuinely believed in that industry. I took it as far as I could. I scaled it as far as I could, took it to a whole different continent, scale it as far as I could. And then I, I moved on and I passed right. it on to someone else. So could I go back in and kill the industry? Absolutely. I know it like back of my hand. It's better left undone. <laughs> there you go. You've left the legacy. Right. Yeah. You've moved yeah. on to some amazing things beyond that as well, to not only have one successful business of the many serial businesses that you now have been able to leave a footprint in. Let's move on to not only exiting your, your business, because you work with a lot of serial entrepreneurs, you coach them, you advise them, you teach them some of the things that release their blockages so they can achieve more success. What are some of the mistakes that you typically see in most entrepreneurs as they journey to their success? Like, how are you able to unblock or some of those common things that goes, hey, you know what? It, it just might take a spark to totally change their paradigm, to totally change their business. What are some of those things? And can you share with us how you've been able to resolve it for them? Yeah. One big one is they're in love with their idea. They're in love with their business. So there's that emotional pull to it. And they're not thinking of other verticals within their business. So the block is the emotional part and we have to work ourselves through the block and then getting into the creative zone. So to go into a creative zone, that's emotional. But if the block is there, then we can't even get to that creative zone. And myself, every entrepreneur goes through this at some point. It happened one month or one year and it doesn't happen the next, but you have to get through that block to get to that creative zone to start coming up with more ideas. I don't want to bring age into it, but it does depend on the age of the entrepreneur as well, mm -hmm. because you can coach someone that's 50 or 60 and they still want that overnight vision. And you can coach someone that's 20 and they want that overnight vision. So that idea that it's going to come to you and it's going to happen overnight, it's not the reality. We're the first ones to get up and we're the last ones to go to sleep. And we know that as entrepreneurs ourselves, but this fast gratification life we live in can't come into our work. So that is a big one that I coach people on. And then as far as the exit, which I've been doing recently, people don't have their plan for their exit. So I obviously, when I got into my business and plan to exit, I wouldn't have known what exiting even was when I was 19. I just set up my booth. But looking back at it now, if you don't have a plan to exit every business, it's almost the way in which you're building that business is created solely for you. And I say this a lot. If you're the pulse of your business, then it only has value to you. It can be the most profitable business in the world, but if you're not there and it doesn't beat because of you, then we have a problem and we can't sell that. Having that plan and having that exit strategy is really, whether you do it or not, is what's going to really make you profitable. Because the worst thing is you get to 50 or 60, you own this snow removal company and you've done it your whole life but everybody knows you and it's joe's snow removal and then you get to 50 or 60 and it would be great if you could just sell this and retire and you can't because it only has value to you and no one else sees that so right. you end up selling the equipment you get what you can and you end up retiring and to me maximize those profits maximize that business 
So you get an extra asset. At the end. That's, that's look a, at it like you look at property. That, that's a great point. So aside from Joe, right? Joe snow removal, of course, naming it Joe snow removal, you can't sell it to mom, right? So at, well, it doesn't work quite as well. So aside from naming, what other specific things as pointers can you share with the audience here? What pointers can you lead us in terms of what not to do to be able to prepare for an exit? But what other things you know, to or not to do would you see commonly? It's, hey, man, you could really make one change and this could be a business that can scale much bigger and also at the same time be able to provide you know, an exit strategy down the road. So what are some of those things that you just typically see? The biggest one is actually that it is the naming. The so name. yes, do not put your name on it, your last name on it, your city name on it. A lot of people put city names or geographical names. Keep that all out of it. Have a world global brand before you have the world global brand. It's huge. And the branding of that. The biggest thing is being in your business or working on your business. We talk about that all the time. And for so many, you don't want to have more staff members. So you don't want to hire that manager that's going to cost you another hundred thousand a year because you could just be in there doing it yourself. That's the worst way to look at it. The more staff that are in there doing the jobs for you means that you can remove yourself. And once you remove yourself, you're able to come up with more ideas. You're able to think of more verticals because you're not hung up in the daily um, to do of a business, right? right? It's not the best use of your time. And people think that if they're in there and that they're running it, that they're in control and they can see everything that's going on. When in reality, the second you come out of it, it's like when entrepreneurs go on vacation. Us as entrepreneurs, our brains never stop. But if we take a week vacation, we come back and we're like, oh, I thought about this for the business. I thought about that for the business. And it's literally because they removed themselves out of the business and then came back in. And I really don't think people think about that enough at all when looking at scaling and exiting. So right from the get-go, when they start a business, are they already thinking about, like most people, most entrepreneurs, when they first start off, the first thing is, hey, I'm going to work in the business. I'm going to be there 24-7. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to run this. I'm going to know this inside and out. But are you saying that essentially they need to be hiring staff right from the get-go? They want to be having the people to run their business and they control their business. Is that sort of what you're saying? And can you elaborate on that? Because most people's blockage on there is going, I don't want to hire a guy for a hundred grand. Yeah, I didn't even make a hundred thousand dollars running that business. So how can they unleash that potential? in hiring staff, because that's usually one of the biggest problems that I see with most businesses is that they're working in the business, not on the business, right? Yeah, that is how I've done it. So that's always going to be my viewpoint. Of course, I was working in the first location. Of course, I was working at the farmer's food market. But as I grew, once I went from one plus location, so the key is as well, if you want to exit, you have to scale. If this is the case, you could take a snow removal company. You're going to put more trucks on the road which in my eyes is more retail locations. So whichever we're going to scale you to, we have to scale you to. And the second, that's probably the biggest key to it all is if you don't scale it, you grow the business. That's you. That's your core little team you have. That is you working 100%. Then we need to scale you. While we're scaling you, we need to bring in more reinforcements. And that is the scary part. People don't want to pay for employees. They don't want to pay for outsourcing things to save them time. But what they don't realize is the second they start doing that, the better they are at scaling. And there's other opinions in there. You're having team meetings, other opinions are coming in and that's at the scaling part. And then the exit part, the whole goal is by the end of scaling, 
you are not in your business. That is a very impactful message you just delivered because most people don't recognize that. Finally, right, to the whole process, but very importantly, even at a startup and, and growth phase, funding of your business is also another thing. So a lot of people start their business and they want to be able to grow. They want to scale. Now they go, okay, I need to hire staff, but I don't really have quite the money because a lot of people have these bold ideas. How can they make the realities of their business come true in your opinion? So two things is I always say this with capital, whether you're going to find capital for an investment, your opportunity, that could be real estate, that could be a business. doesn't matter what the opportunity is. Go find the opportunity first. Hmm. If you have a home run opportunity, capital is never an issue. If you work hard, your integrity is there and you've built a relationship, your relationship and the opportunity are what will bring you the capital every single time. So if it's a case of purchasing a business, purchasing a piece of real estate, bringing something to someone as an opportunity, the opportunity will sell itself along with who you are as an entrepreneur. Always. Capital is never an issue in my eyes and in my book. It's what I genuinely believe. If you are in your business and you need more capital, you have two options. Sometimes you, you literally are strapped as much as you can and you really don't have any other options, right? Yes. You then yes. have to take two considerations. You can't get a loan from the bank or whatever the circumstances are. You, let's say you have no options. You then have to make your business an opportunity and you have to join venture with someone. So that's the only way to get out of it. You're either gonna close your business down, liquidate assets, or you're gonna to have to joint venture with someone and bring in capital. So once again, making your business that eye candy opportunity for someone that they wanna partner in with you and they wanna bring you your capital. If you're in that kind of like medium zone where you're not dead yet, you have a little bit more runway and, and you could probably make it work, it's verticals. And verticals are risky because if you're in that runway, you really gotta find the one that hits and hope it does. Do your research, look at your competition, see what they're doing, think visionary, think what's gonna happen in the next year to 24 months where you see your business going. And if you can find a vertical that just clicks, it literally takes one, that's what happened with me, that can scale you to a profitability level where you're not gonna need the capital or need to depend on anyone. Always reverse it, always go find the opportunity and then get capital as a result of it. Money's never an issue, so much money on the streets. That is awesome. There's a lot of abundance, right? I, I can see oozing confidence. For those who are, can't see you, I can tell you she's got a big grin on her face because of all the successes that not only she's had, but all the successes that she's able to coach her other entrepreneurs on. And I think that's what the confidence is all about is her not only her ability, but it's her ability to empower other people to do exactly the same. So in closing, Katie, you've done so much. I mean, obviously you've got a crystal ball and we all expect a crystal ball because we're an entrepreneur. So we're forward looking. What do you see now? Obviously COVID, we're, it's sort of coming gone. People don't really talk about it anymore because it's no longer news. The question is now that this becomes the new normal, COVID is, is already here. It's here to stay one way or another. What do you see in terms of how it's impacted business and how you think businesses need to be reacting in the future for something like this? Good question. I think that right now, if you haven't reacted yet to COVID, you should start because there are surprisingly some entrepreneurs that did not react and went on a little bit of vacation. So react, one. Two, I think that there is no doubt we're, we've gone virtual. 
there's no doubt that a lot of our systems and our processes need to be switched to online. So that is huge within your company. If you haven't been using Zoom, if you haven't been using Google Teams, if you haven't been using CRMs and, and digital platforms, websites, social media, those things, if you haven't been using them, adapt, start getting familiar with them and really start honing in on those skills. I don't think we're going to be full virtual. I think humans are naturally going to revert back to human connection, but I think that there are a lot of things that will change. Do I think that I'm going to fly to Hong Kong just to have a meeting with Peter just because for the heck of it, probably not. We no, but just, you will come for the food. But I will come for the food where it was only acceptable before that you'd have to get on a plane and go there. I think that a lot of people are enjoying this online space and there's things they're not enjoying. So I think that if you really look at your business and say, okay, we're not even on LinkedIn. We don't have a website built. Some things are just so simplistic and you don't think it's important. And now more than ever it is that, and then just stay resilient with the times. I think we're not through it yet. I think the worst days are coming, but I also think the best opportunities are around the corner. It's going to be a crazy year. <laughs> uh, it's been a very challenging 2020. There's no doubt about it. The people who have embraced it have made it a better year have able to be in some element of recovery. I've talked about risks. I've talked about where crises are opportunities. It depends on which side of the spectrum you're at. And it certainly, Katie, I'm, I'm thrilled and privileged to have you on the show, sharing your expertise, some of the knowledge that you have, some of the experience and what you've been able to do for other entrepreneurs as well. So for those who want to get a contact of you, we'll have your website, we'll have your contact information. I encourage, especially for entrepreneurs who are wanting to scale their business, Katie has been absolutely transformational, right? Not just a change, it's transformational, what you've been able to do. And I see with your success, there's no doubt that you're going to be tremendously even more successful than just being a millionaire. I don't think a millionaire is, is going to categorize you. I think it starts with a B. And some of the things that you're looking at, how you're able to think, it, it's not the money that determines who you are. It's really the way that you make decisions, the way that you think about your decisions, the way that you react, the way that you change that really has defined who KDK has been. So thank you, Katie, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Bye, guys. Bye.